baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Welcome, I'm Paula Dagnan. This week on Special Edition, fundraisers are coming back and Tracy's Hope and Hospice has details on theirs. Wouldn't tax season be the right time to fix your finances and invest for the long term? It should be, we'll tell you why. The CEO of Conservation International speaks with our Odyssey sister station in Washington, D.C. about Earth Day. Speaking of the Earth, how about those invasive pests right in our own backyard? April is Autism Awareness Month, and we're going to hear from Clinical Director Michelle Wonders from Devereaux Pocono on autism and their programs. Michelle, always a pleasure to have you back with us once again on Special Edition. And for anybody who may have missed the last time you were on here, give us a little bit of a background of Devereaux Pocono, where you are. Thank you, Paula. Thanks for having me back again. I really, really appreciate you giving us the time to talk about what we do at Devereaux. Um, Devereaux is a national um, organization. We're a nonprofit behavioral health provider. Uh, We serve people across the entire lifespan. And similarly, in the Pocono program, we are much smaller than some of our other Devereaux centers, but we like to say that we're small but mighty. And we uh, we serve uh, people from age two through lifespan um, in various settings and provide various different services to them. Devereaux is, as you mentioned, in other locations. So is this a national or Pennsylvania? Devereaux is a national nonprofit. We are in 13 states across the country, from California to Florida to Maine to Arizona. We're, we're pretty much across the entire nation. The Pocono programs are located um, in the Northeast PA area. We do have some programs in Southeast PA, which is where Devereaux actually originated. Um, Helena Devereaux actually started Devereaux um, outside Philadelphia. She was a Philadelphia school teacher and realized that uh, children with special needs needed special interventions and special uh, treatment. So she began Devereaux in 1912. Oh, so it's been around there a long time. And yeah. you haven't been with it since the inception, but <laughs> you you have been involved in, in so many other of the things that are going on. And now the reason that I have you back today is, we're in the midst of the month of April, which is Autism Awareness Month. And exactly. that is a, it's a big topic. It's really coming to the forefront now because people are actually starting to talk about it more. Can you give our listeners an idea of just what autism is? Sure. So autism is is what we call a spectrum disorder. And when we think about it as a spectrum disorder, there's a, like a wide variety of the types, Um, severity of symptoms that people with autism spectrum disorder could experience. So early intervention has really come a long way. Um, Evidence-based treatments such as applied behavior analysis have really helped individuals 
uh, live really meaningful lives. What autism spectrum disorder is, is it's a developmental disorder um, that really can affect communication and behavior with individuals. Um, it can be diagnosed at any age, although it is considered to be a developmental disorder. The symptoms generally appear during the first two years of life and diagnoses usually occur at that point. It is a wide variety and, uh, you know, it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all treatment because we do some pretty in-depth and individualized assessments for individuals to, to really meet their specific needs. Now, when you're trying to diagnose someone who may have autism at that young of an age, there must be a lot of different parameters because the person is still a child. So it's not like you're going to be able to get that conversation feedback. So what would you do? Or first of all, let's take a step back. What would a parent maybe start to notice about a child that might say, I think I may, might need to have someone else sit down with me and, and we'll talk about this. And that really is where many children uh, receive intervention and diagnoses. Parents will notice things like their child is not making um, eye contact or inconsistent with making eye contact. They tend to be um, a little more isolative and and um, not really interact with others uh, the way it might be expected. Um, some children develop language skills and then may regress and stop talking. So things like that. Parents usually will talk to their pediatrician and really have a sense that something isn't developing um, along the normal developmental trajectory. And then they could be referred for further assessment at that point. And when the further assessment, would that have to wait then until a later age? Or are you still getting people who are that age into your programs? We, we do. Um, in our community services program, we do serve children as young as two. There's a lot of variety in how children develop. Things don't always happen. You know, we don't just say, oh, children must start speaking at nine months of age. You know, I mean, there, there are variabilities there. But if parents are um, experiencing concerns and it's across several different domains of development, then we would probably refer them for a, an additional evaluation, which could include a team of people. It could include a developmental pediatrician who has special training in child development, a child psychologist or psychiatrist who um, has experience with brain development and behavior, um, possibly a neuropsychologist um, who could do some evaluations, and maybe even a speech and language pathologist who could you know, assess some communication difficulties. So we could really look at um, the cognitive level of the individual or how they think, uh, their language abilities, and also their behavior. Sometimes Individuals with autism spectrum disorder um, display some, some repetitive behaviors, things like um, repeating certain behaviors or repeating words or phrases after other people, um, having a very intensely focused interest that they're very uh, attached to, very upset with changes in routine, things like that. So there's some, there's some clues that we could see that might point us in the direction to do some further assessments. And you also mentioned besides the children who are two, three years old, you also mentioned that it can be diagnosed later in life. 
that must be something that's very difficult, especially if someone has those type of behaviors. So maybe why would people not catch that sooner? Or is it because autism is just making its way to the forefront that people are starting to realize what it is? I think that it could be it could be twofold. It could be that uh, the symptoms are, are fairly mild. Um, and don't have a, a, a significant impact on the child's um, educational or social or, um, you know, interpersonal relationships. And at some point in their adolescence or even early adulthood, something may happen and they say, well, I'm having a really difficult time at work because I, I am not displaying flexibility or, um, you know, other certain um, things that could impact their they're functioning where maybe it didn't when they were a child. Diagnosing autism spectrum disorder in adult, adults is more difficult um, because some of the symptoms can overlap with other mental health disorders. Um, there can be some anxiety associated with it or some attention difficulties. So I think that's where we may be seeing um, more diagnoses in adults, whereas maybe we didn't have that previously. Or also as children are moving through the school system, um, maybe, you know, some certain um, difficulties are arising that had not been present previously. Devereaux, let's tell everybody how you are involved in Autism Month, because obviously one way is getting the word out by joining us again here. But you also have other activities, which I have a funny feeling got uh, a little bit waylaid because, again, of the coronavirus pandemic. And Maybe even before I get to that, how difficult has it been to have new clients coming in during this pandemic, especially when you have to keep in mind all of the protocols and and there's there's a lot of constraints on there. That's absolutely true. Obviously, we've had some individuals who have come in to all of our programs, our community-based programs, as well as our our community living arrangements of our group homes. And we have had to really develop some strict protocols around uh, you know, social distancing. Uh, we're working very hard on teaching all of the individuals that we work with um, how to wear a mask appropriately, about hand washing and hand sanitizing. And as we are um, now starting to reopen some of our programs, we're, we're really working on modifying the, the physical environment so that it's safer and when individuals come in, we're doing all of the screening. We do screening every day with the individuals, um, taking temperatures, uh, you know, assessing their activities, um, you know, monitoring them for any possible symptoms. And uh, it has been a huge effort that has been undertaken by everybody. But most importantly, our direct care staff who are really the healthcare heroes of our organization and have kept um, our individuals, you know, safe and um occupied they've been home they were home for a long time in their in their group homes and it's really really a testament to the high quality care that our staff provide for them usually during autism awareness month i'm sure that you would be feeding all of those uh folks with a luncheon and other types of things and awards and everybody getting together but you're still going to have an event but it's unfortunately going to be a little bit toned down. Yes. So we we annually have an event, um, and, and it's we call it Intellectual Disability Awareness Event. Individuals who are diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder 
um, often are also diagnosed with an intellectual disability. So we do serve individuals who have um, both. So in April, usually at the end of the month, we typically have a rather large event at our at one of our adult training facilities where we have some local representatives come, individuals from the community, families come. It's really a wonderful event that actually is coordinated by John Gething, who was with me on our last talk. So this year, it really does have to look different and we are still, um, we go through a nomination process. We nominate individuals who maybe have a positive work ethic or uh, really display our uh, servant leadership philosophy or, or positive behavioral intervention philosophy. So we recognize individuals, we recognize um, staff members, and we also recognize members of the community who have provided opportunities for our individuals to, to participate in work. One year, we've also recognized uh, people from special education school districts who are very integral in helping the individual transition from school age to our adult program. So it's a really nice event. This year, we're going to be um, doing the awards at various meetings that we're going to be holding later this month. So it's it's not going to be one large event, but we'll be uh, spreading the love, so to speak, across various venues so that we can still recognize people. I'm sure that when it's spreading the love, that's even better because you Mm -hmm. pick up a wider audience that way as well. (laughs) Definitely. You mentioned John, and the last time that you were here, we were talking about the foster parent program. So can you give us a little bit of an idea of what both of those are, group homes as well, especially if anyone is still or has hearing this for the first time to be interested in becoming a foster parent? Yes, absolutely. So so we have uh, 17 community-based community living arrangements or, quote, group homes that um, and we, we serve individuals with intellectual disabilities and autism spectrum disorders in those homes. So when a child graduates from school or maybe even some a little bit later in life, uh, if their their parents are aging and, um, you know, it's time for them to find really a, a home that they're going to be able to be safe and cared for for the rest of their life, they could be referred into our um, programs for our group homes. We also have our, our well, I wouldn't say brand new because we're several months in now, but our relatively new foster care program. So this is called Community Residential Rehabilitation Services, and it's it's a very intensive form of therapeutic foster care. For children, uh, we do serve children with autism spectrum disorders in that program as well, but those children also um, have a, a mental health diagnosis, and maybe their family is struggling um, to... Uh, you know, manage that mental health diagnosis, you know, so we would provide treatment for the child, family therapy, education for the family, and really help connect them with the community resources so that that child could return back home in six to nine months. So as far as our foster parents, we provide intensive training for them um, through the onboarding process and um, really support them every step of the way. The two placements that we have right now are going extremely well. Um, the families are wonderful and really does require a, a special person to open their home to a child or an adult with disabilities uh, to, to really help you know, them reach their potential. 
And if someone is interested, what can they expect uh, after they get in touch with you and say, you know, Michelle, I, I heard you talk about this and I think I'd like to find out more. So what would be their next steps? So uh, their next steps would be, first of all, to call our wonderful recruiter, Maxine Torres. Her number is 272-228-0374. And um, she would speak with them about uh, what is involved, uh, what the what the process would look like for them to become a foster parent. And um, there's an application and screening that we do. Obviously, we... Uh, we do a high level of screening of all in, all of our employees and also with the foster parents. So um, we would have um, an interview with myself and our community services coordinator, Marissa, and get to know them. They could get to know us, and, and we proceed from there. And, and we really do provide a lot of training across a lot of different areas from um, what how to make good decisions as a foster parent, medication management, all the way to some more clinical trainings that I provide on you know, different mental health diagnoses, what they might expect, behavioral interventions, pretty much across the board. So they wouldn't necessarily have to come into the program with any kind of prior uh, school, whether any kind of prior uh, accreditations, anything like that? No, no, there is no, pre- we provide all of the training that they would need. Wow. They just need to come with an open heart and an open mind. And how long would someone be in a home like that? The expected length of stay in those homes is about six to nine months. Uh, We really do provide um, intensive treatment and intervention. And our goal is to get the child back with their family, back in their community, um, hopefully stay in in their school while they're in the placement. But Um, really get them back and reunified so that they can be more successful. Wow, that must be a very big undertaking just to match people with the, you know, the right Mm -hmm. kind of vibe. And it really, really must take some thought and consideration. So if anyone is interested, once again, give us the uh, how to get in touch with you information. Okay, you could call Maxine at 272-228. 0374. And the last time when John was with you, he said that you'd probably just sign up because you talked to Maxine. Is that really true? That really is true. Maxine is is wonderful. She's uh, very kind and compassionate and people like to talk to Maxine. (laughs) Well, (laughs) she might be getting some phone calls just to say hello, just to find out. I sure hope so. I sure hope so. <laughs> so, Michelle, what have we left out about Devereaux and any of the other programs, particularly since we are looking at this being Autism Awareness Month that you'd like to mention? I, I think that our our mission really is to change lives, and we do that through unlocking potential. And I think that our our philosophy of care really is those evidence-based interventions of, um, you know, ABA or applied behavioral analysis is really the cutting edge of that. So we really focus on training all of our clinicians in that modality and really working on, um, you know, using our using all of the data we can to make good decisions, uh, make treatment decisions, placement decisions, quality improvement um, strategies. So we are very um, data-driven and data-based, and we 
we really feel that that makes the difference with our treatment and makes it very high quality. Thanks again to Michelle Wonders from Devereaux Pocono. Tax time. Is it the time to invest for the long term? We'll find out next on Special Edition. Next on Special Edition, Miriam Bridges, Vice President of the Investment Company Institute, has some investing suggestions. The ICI Education Foundation is the educational affiliate of the Investment Company Institute, which is the leading global association of regulated funds. We have a very simple, important mission to promote investor education. And how do you go about doing that? We partner with government agencies and other nonprofit organizations to develop, deliver, and promote programs to help people with their investing and their money. Miriam, investing is a daunting thing. Somebody from my perspective, looking at this, especially the way that this year has been with all of the pandemic, where do we start? So this has been a really challenging year for everyone, as we may be starting to see a little light at the end of the tunnel. That's a great time to shift focus. Start small and start thinking about your savings. And uh, tax time is the perfect time to think about it and consider opening an IRA. When we talk about IRAs, how do you know, again, where to start? Right. So an IRA or an individual retirement account is an investment account that allows you to save for retirement. And it's easy to open. You can either do it yourself or you can use the assistance of investment professionals. So, for example, you can go directly to a mutual fund company or any financial services firm. This is something you can search on the internet and you'll come up with a lot of different options. Just search how to open an IRA and you'll find many different companies offering a service. And there are many different kinds of IRAs, true? That's right. So there's two main ones. There's the Roth IRA and a traditional IRA. And contributions you make to those IRAs may be tax deductible or your withdrawals may be tax free. So they both have different benefits depending on your needs. So a traditional IRA, your deposit is tax deferred. If you don't pay income tax, you see withdraw money from the account in your retirement. If you choose a Roth IRA, your deposit comes to the money you've already paid taxes on. Because when you withdraw the money in retirement, you don't pay taxes again. So why would you not just want a Roth IRA? Well, so everyone has different needs and there's lots of different factors involved. And so, again, I would just suggest you go online. We have lots of stuff on our website, www.ici.org slash IRA. It can help you identify those especially with uh, older individuals and people who are getting close to retirement. The thing was, many, many, many years ago, when many of us started out to work, companies didn't offer such things as they do now with company match and, and different things like that. So is there any way for somebody who's in that age bracket to kind of play catch up? You know, an IRA has contribution limits and it's $6,000 per year, but people aged 50 and older can do an additional $1,000. And similarly, um, if you have a 401k, you, you know, as you mentioned, you want to make sure you're taking on the matching funds, but they also let it grow, lock the money away. If you're older, you have an additional $6,500 to 401k. Policymakers have recognized that you can really focus on retirement and not season of life. One of the other things, too, that a lot of people hear about and, again, that we heard about not too long ago was the whole idea of the stock market and what investors were doing to the stock market. But they weren't even there. They were at home and they can do all this over the Internet. So, again, that's another one of those areas that is very confusing. What do we do there? So if you're in a position to invest, I would just urge you to remember the importance of long-term diversified investing, which is 
far better approach for Main Street investors than gamified data. So funds such as mutual funds and exchange-traded funds offer a proven track record of helping Main Street investors achieve their most important financial goals. You know, things such as buying a home or building a nest egg. The home is a pretty big purchase, and there are tax advantages to that rather than having it paid off. And there's also the equity in the home that they should be thinking about either upgrading. Yeah, so I'm not the expert on the details of that, so it would be best to talk to your financial advisor about that question. But here's what I do now is just have a savings goal and keep that in mind and make sure you're getting a good start. What about things like savings accounts and are, are they still in vogue when it comes to trying to build up savings? Sure, but you know, saving investing steadily, paycheck by paycheck, you know, again will offer you the best way to secure a financial future. And investing in mutual funds and ETFs, again, you know, provides you access to professionally managed diversified investments, which can really help you save your financial. And when we talk about the idea of, again, retirement savings, people who, especially during the pandemic, might have had a major interruption there because of being laid off and with the unemployment. And so what happens with people in that area? Well, I would just say, you know, this has been a really challenging year for everyone and, you know, lots of unplanned changes, but just a great time to start small and Think about your savings. Again, tax time is a good time to think about it because you may be able to cut your tax bill with an IRA and just boost your long-term financial health generally by learning more about investing. And maybe even taking a look at uh, your own budget at home? Sure. Well, that's always a great idea. We just encourage everyone to think small and and focus on your savings. And, And again, there's lots of information online. There's so many resources available to help you make this. So www.ici.org slash IRA. Thanks again to Miriam Bridges for investing advice. Speaking of money, CEO Denise Coomer with Tracy's Hope and Hospice has details on their fundraiser. We're also a rescue. Um, we do animal rights issues, try to uh, work with the DA's offices and the uh, police departments to prosecute animal abusers. Tell us about um, the hospice aspect of it. Hospice is slightly different than when you're doing it for people. We do it where if the animal is suffering and there's no hope, we bring euthanasia to the home so the animal can be in in their own home when they pass. It's easier for the owners and it's easier for the animal. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to go into the home, so hospice has suffered a little bit. Most times... uh, especially in the beginning of the COVID, a lot of uh, vets will not even let you in the office when you're euthanizing. So it's been been hard on our animals too and uh, pet owners. Uh, Hopefully this is going to change a little bit. And that is where we last spoke with you was right before all of the COVID started. And of course you had so many different fundraisers that you were telling us about. So this one has been what, two years in the making? Yes, we, we couldn't, we couldn't have it. We had to keep canceling because of the COVID. People were afraid and, and rightfully so. And uh, we couldn't have any big gatherings. Our organization suffered financially, as everybody else did during this pandemic. But you're coming back and you are going to have quite an event. Yes, we are coming back. And yes, we're having an event. 
It's uh, our designer purse bingo that we've had to cancel almost two years in a row. And now we're having it at the Circle Drive-In on the Scranton-Carbondale Highway. The doors open at 10 and the bingo starts at noon. It's going to be outside so uh, people can be relaxed. It'll be COVID safe. You can bring your tables, your chairs, and have a, a pop-up tent if you want to. And it's, it's going to be very relaxed, but a lot of fun. What's the date? We have some great prizes. Yeah, June 5th. Denise, I know that in the past, <laughs> which, mm-hmm. which is really past now, the tickets have gone yes. quickly. So how do people get, the, get all their tickets and we get them there? Yeah. Well, tickets are $20 per person, and that's for 20 games of bingo and 20 purses. We also have specials, and uh, our grand prize is $1,000 cash in a designer purse. So there's a lot of great prizes. You can obtain tickets by uh, sending a self-stamped addressed envelope to Tracy's Hope, 113 Foot Avenue in Duryea, PA, 18642. And you also have all that information on your Facebook page, correct? Yes, it's on our Facebook. I, I believe it's on our website, too. Those purses, tell us what you have. Oh, my. Oh, yeah, they're all beautiful designer purses by Coach, Michael Kors, Dooney and Burke. And, and like I said, the, the grand prize is great. We, but we also have special games and uh, a trip to Assateague, Virginia. We have a uh, overnight stay at Mohegan Sun. We have a 55-inch color TV. So the prizes are really good. We have 50-plus baskets. It's just going to be a fun time. It's going to be a really fun time. When we're talking about, again, missing out on such fundraising activity, and it wasn't just this, there were so many others. When you're talking about the fact that you weren't able to do fundraising, and it has been almost two years. Yes. Where, mm-hmm. where does where is the money not going that could be going well, with the people that help? Well, our, our bills are so high with the veterinarians and the emergency clinic. Thank God for them. They help us to keep on a tab so we can still help the animals that we do have. But it's uh, this money has to go to our veterinarians. We do need to pay them for all the wonderful care that they've given to our animals during this time. That's basically where everything goes. Again, you were you're still dealing with animals. Yeah, it's it's not like everything just stopped, right? We have eight hospice animals that actually live on the premises. So you know, and and they're old. I mean, they need proper care. They need medication. You know, so all of this was possible because our veterinarians. We're willing to let us go with our bills right now, but we really owe them a lot, you know, financially and and gratitude too. And it's probably, I would say, knowing knowing the animals that I have known, that it is it would be heartbreaking for you to have to turn someone away. Well, let me tell you, it is heartbreaking, and we have had to turn so many away. That takes an emotional toll on on me. And my volunteers, when you have to turn an animal away because you can't afford it or, you know, it, it's tough. It really is tough. We really do need as much help as we possibly can get. If they can come out and, and enjoy this bingo, that would help us. It's going to be a great time. 
great prizes. It's worth $20 to come into this. And there won't be any tickets available at the door? Usually we sell out, so there, there might not be. If there are tickets left at the door, it'll, the cost is $25 per person. But you're best to get your tickets before they all go. Because it's a big event and uh, people come out to these things. They love it. Well, especially after it hasn't been held for so, so long. Exactly. Right. Okay, it is the uh, Scranton Carbondale Highway, the Circle Drive-In. The doors open at 10 and um, uh, the bingo starts at noon. There's food, there's prizes. Come in and have a good time. I mean, we all deserve a good time after what we've gone through. When is the date? The date is June the 5th. And when do the tickets go on sale? They are on sale right now. And they're going to go when they go. And Yeah, and we're running some contests on our Facebook page. Enter to win. Go to our Facebook and check out our post. Talking Earth Day next on Special Edition. It's Earth Day. Karina Delgado from our Odyssey sister station, 94.7 The Drive in Washington, D.C., caught up with the CEO of Conservation International. Hey, friends. It's Karina Delgado from The Morning Drive on 94.7 The Drive with a special treat for you on this Earth Day. We got to speak with M. Jane, the CEO of Conservation International, to have a deeper discussion about Earth Day how we can help, and the effects of the pandemic on our planet. Let's dive right in. Going to be honest with you, things are looking real different than they were last year around this time. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that, please? Well, you know, honestly, like last year, we basically had to put Earth Day on hold. So all the celebrations, all the events, all the planning, you know, we were facing an uncertainty in terms of what our future looked like of unparalleled proportions. And so many of those activities were, were delayed or kicked back. The challenge, of course, is that, you know, this is quite literally the most important decade for humanity. Science is very clear on this. What we do over the next 10 years will affect the course of our planet, of humanity for probably the next 300 years or more. So we're now already one year back. It's almost like doing a 10-lap race and you you haven't left the starting gate uh, and one lap's gone. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of urgency uh, to our steps this year, and I think we really need to get going. Well, speaking of that one lap specifically, I think a lot of people are under the impression that we are ahead uh, in this race because of the pandemic. But I, I heard that that's not necessarily true. Yeah, no, not necessarily true. So I think it's a mixed record. Uh, so certainly some things about emissions in terms of climate change, did uh, tick downwards. We obviously traveled less by air, cruise ships were in harbors, so industrial production dropped. But the world's coming back with a bit of a vengeance uh, in in kind of the good way, like, you know, production is ramping up, and I think people will be in a hurry to catch up. So I don't see that trend sort of lasting very long. Mm -hmm. I think more worryingly, this past year, you know, Things like deforestation, forest fires, uh, illegal poaching, uh, things like that, uh, activities that harm the environment actually ticked up in many places Mm. because there were fewer people watching, because there were fewer resources available for monitoring. There were fewer park guards. There were fewer people in the forest. And so what you're finding is a real mixed bag, whereas, you know, in some cases, yes, emissions did decrease, but in other cases, it actually went up. 
my big worry is that as next year, as, as this sort of next you know year opens up before us, we don't go back to making the same mistakes we've done for the past few decades. Right. It's time for us to move forward for sure. We got to learn from our mistakes. Uh, can you speak for a moment about what's going on in Kenya? Kenya, you know, to be honest, it has a fairly strong park service and a, and a fairly strong conservation community. So ethics on conservation are pretty strong. But, you know, a lot of Kenya, a lot of the parks, a lot of the protected areas, the natural areas are really dependent on tourism, mm-hmm. ecotourism, if you like. And when tourism came to a halt, some of the most fabled landscapes in Kenya, like the Masai Mara Game Reserve, you know, where if you, you know, turn on television and watch it, you'll see, you know, the wildebeest migrations crossing the river, you know, all of those huge migrations of animals take place essentially on community land. And the reason these communities end up protecting this landscape is because they're getting revenue from tourism. But that went to almost zero last year because international travel, you know, came to a, to a halt and people couldn't go there. Oh, I see. So we, Conservation International, along with some others, stepped in. And in that case, we provided a loan um, called the Mara Rescue Fund, uh, basically a loan program to tide these communities over until we think tourism can recover and, and, and you know, bring back some funding to these communities. Well, that's outstanding. So obviously doing big things with Conservation International, but small things make a difference too. So can you tell our listeners, what are some things that they can do in order to help on Earth Day? Well, I urge folks to go check out um, our website. So, you know, visit conservation.org backslash tips. And we've got lots of little tips and tricks for you to reduce your impact on Earth Day. I think for me, you know, as I try to navigate this, I think small actions and big actions both matter. Mm. You've got to do them both. It's almost like being a conscious consumer or being a conscious citizen. So first and foremost, I would really urge everyone to get a little bit involved. You know, dip your toe in. Get to know a local organization or international organization like ours or any of the others. Just get a little more informed. In terms of your own personal life, the thing that I really watch for now is what I cook, how much food I waste. Mm. And it turns out that your home really is kind of the big way in which you have an impact on climate. And if you're smart about what you buy and smart about how little you waste, you not only save money, but you're actually saving the planet as well. And then when you think about travel, you know, I know for a fact that I am obviously going to travel for work in the future, but I'm going to do fewer trips. I'm going to stay in country longer. So when I go, I'm doing fewer flights, but when I'm there, I'm taking more time to really learn about the place. So change those habits just a little bit as well. And then support companies that have high environmental standards. One of the things that I really noticed last year with virtually every corporate partner that Conservation International works with, whether it's MasterCard or Apple, um, you know, or P&G, they didn't stick with it. They doubled down. They really accelerated their environmental commitments. So mm-hmm. ask companies to do that, support them. And then, of course, you know, politics does matter. Get engaged. Ask your represented elected uh, representatives what they're doing about nature, what they're doing about the environment. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time today. And for our listeners that would like to get more involved, you can log on at conservation.org. Brought to you by Odyssey's One Thing. 
program. Thanks again to Karina Delgado from our Odyssey sister station, 94.7 The Drive in Washington, D.C. Now, Samantha Simon, U.S. Department of Agriculture Director of Domestic Programs and Invasive Pests. Here in Pennsylvania, probably one of the biggest that we've been hearing about is the spotted lanternfly. So why are these pests so pesty? Well, it is April. It is Invasive Plant Pest Disease and Awareness Month. And these hungry pests, they're 20 highly damaging invasive pests and diseases that people can unknowingly spread. And they cause they can cause um, significant damage to our uh, agriculture and to our natural resources. In fact, in the U.S., they cost us an estimated $40 billion each year. How can we do that? I don't want to go near any of these pests, so how, how could I be involved in spreading it? Unfortunately, people do unknowingly spread the hungry pests by many many of the items that they're moving. Uh, this includes plants and fruits, untreated firewood, and other outdoor items. In Pennsylvania, the spotted lanternfly, it's a great little hitchhiker. It really likes to, uh, as adults, it really likes to hop into your, your vehicles um, and take a trip with you. So if you are taking a trip out of Pennsylvania and into another state, please check your car, check your RV, any other outdoor vehicles. Make sure that you don't have any uh, unwelcomed hitchhikers. And if you're moving out of the area or moving um, any type of equipment or things that have been stored outside, check for egg masses and make sure. I think the, the big call to action in Pennsylvania is to smash, scrape, and double bag and dispose any egg masses that you find. Wow. And you mentioned the International Year of Plant Health. Why? Um, We are continuing the International Year of Plant Health through June of this year. It was declared by the United Nations last year. The goal of declaring International Year of Plant Health is to raise awareness about the devastating impact of invasive pests on the world's environment, on our food security, and also on the economy, and to highlight what people can do to help. And what can we do? Well, the key is there There are some simple tips, um, and HungryPest.com has some information about what you can do to help prevent the spread of hungry pests. Um, you know, in Pennsylvania, of course, with with SLF, with spotted lanternfly, as I mentioned, smash, scrape, double bag and dispose egg masses. Um, when you have the adults, smash those too. There's some great information on HungryPest.com. And if you're um, out in your, if you're, planting in your gardens. Please make sure to uh, buy seeds or plants that are domestic. If you're buying online, please make sure that if they're not from the U.S., that they're meeting import requirements. This is really important. And again, if you have questions about that, we always have information on HungryPests.com. I can't believe they have their own website, those hungry pests. One of the other things, one of the other things that uh, people have a tendency to say is, oh, look at that. It's so pretty. Maybe I'll take it home with me. And it might even be just from another state. Is that not a good thing to do? Really not a good thing to do. These hungry pests, they do like to move. They they move in our soil. They move on our plants. They move in our fruit. Um, they move through um, many of the things that we're moving. So it's important that you uh, do not uh, move items from one area to another because you could be unknowingly spreading those hungry pests. April is a key month to start checking things. First of all, why is it so key? And second of all, how do we check for things? 
Well, April is the time when many of these uh, hungry pests are starting to emerge and they're easy to see. And people do play a crucial role in preventing the spread of them to help protect our forest crops and our landscapes. Um, the key is to report them. If you find any signs, you can report them through hungrypest.com. There's a state drop-down list. When you click on Pennsylvania, it'll give you the information for our state plant health director. It is important to report because even if every if others have reported, it's that one time where it will help us uh, find those and help eradicate them as quickly as possible. In Pennsylvania, we know you have spotted lanternflies, so reporting isn't as important as it is to um, try to um, kill as many of them as you possibly can. Mentions in the release that I received before our interview, the feral hog? There are feral hogs. Um, They are spreading in some areas of the U.S. I don't believe Pennsylvania has to worry about those. Um, they they are invasive. They do um, they do cause damage to our um, environment. They're not native to the U.S. Um, they were released and or escaped and um, now cause damage in in some states. They aren't part of the hungry pests because thankfully we're not really e- easy. We're not able to easily spread those. So um, they have their own website too, but. Uh, they, um, yes, so almost everything has its own website these days. How about the other invasive pests here in Pennsylvania besides the spotted lanternfly? And I know another another big one is the gypsy moth. Yes, the European gypsy moth. Uh, this does uh, like to feed on more than 300 species of trees and shrubs. And so the key there is to um, make sure... A, just like with spotted lanternfly, if you find egg masses, smash them, scrape them, double bag and dispose. If you're moving out of the quarantine area and into a state that doesn't have European gypsy moth, you want to make sure not to take it with you. So check your outdoor gear, uh, remove any egg masses that you may find. There's also the Asian tiger mosquito. What do they eat besides me? They, they'll eat people. So this, these are also, they're also invasive. They're not native. Um, they're also not one of the 20 hungry pests, although they are definitely a nuisance to us. And zebra mussels? These are also invasive. And um, it's important that if you're in boating, that you're cleaning your boats properly and draining your water so that you're not spreading those. Um, they are um, not part of the hungry pests uh, collection, but we also take steps to try to prevent their spread and people can help us with that. And that's probably one of the first that I've seen have that would have any connection with water. Are there others? There are um, invasive pests that do um, have that are in the water, uh, whether they're, they are fish or mussels or plants. Um, those are all uh, have their own uh, methods that we do to try to prevent them. Again, people always help. They, they play a role um, to prevent the spread of invasives, including hungry pests. Well, I hope none of the hungry pests are invited to the Niagara Falls celebration that's going to be going on there. What are they going to do for that, Samantha? I hope they're not going there either. So in celebration of the International Year of Plant Health, USDA is partnering with the North American Plant Protection Organization and the Niagara Falls State Park 
to hold a special illumination ceremony on April 19th and 20th. It's from 7 to 9 p.m. for 15 minutes at the top of every hour. On those dates, during those time frames, they're going to light up the falls with green light to emphasize the need to protect plant health across North America and around the world. And you can visit that. You can see that online. Go to HungryPest.com, and there's going to be a Niagara Falls banner so you can watch it live. Oh, that's great. That's a wonderful idea. This is being discussed as probably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity? It is. So this is the first time that the United Nations has declared an International Year of Plant Health. And so we are taking um, every advantage of that opportunity to help uh, highlight the impacts of invasive species around the world and to encourage individuals to come together to fight these pests. Please go to HungryPest.com or join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. It's important that everyone understands that um, we can all play a role in protecting our plants from invasive plant pests and diseases. And you can learn more about how to recognize the science and to report them at HungryPest.com. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. 